Amen. Thank y'all. Appreciate that. This is interesting. My my uh, microphone was dead, so I just went and got batteries for my microphone, and I walk up here to the pulpit, and there's batteries on my pulpit. So anyhow, not sure. Maybe somebody's trying to tell me something. But uh, anyway, uh, good to be here. Thank the Lord for each one of y'all. Thank the Lord for each person saying the hot rod, the uh, Dave and Brittany and Randy. Uh, thank y'all. Appreciate each one serving the Lord. Thanks for each of you being here this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter number six this morning. Luke chapter number six. If you want to turn there. We've been looking at the life of Christ. We started back at the first of December looking at the birth of Christ and we've been working our way through the book of Luke uh, looking at the life of Christ with a goal of uh, ending at his crucifixion at Easter. And of course that's uh, not that far away now. Uh, and so there's no way at all uh, that we could... Uh, take and cover the entire book of Luke and all that Christ did in the amount of time that we were uh, working on here. If you, we were to teach through the book of Luke verse by verse, it uh, would probably take at least a year, maybe a little longer. And so uh, what we've tried to do is we've looked at the birth of Christ, we've looked at some significant events in the life of Christ, and now for the next couple of Sundays, we are going to be looking at the message that Christ preached. Uh, and so uh, we know that as we uh, look, we see that Christ was born, He lived... Uh, until he was about 30 years old. He grew up there in the town of Nazareth uh, as a carpenter. There he was, there among his friends and his family. At about 30 years of age, Jesus went, of course, and he was baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And at that point, Jesus launched his earthly ministry. Uh, immediately after being baptized, he went into the wilderness uh, and was tempted of the devil. Uh, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted of the devil. After the temptation, he began to preach. The Bible says he began to preach around in the communities around Galilee and he was being well received and well accepted. He made his way back to Nazareth, his hometown where he had grown up, where everyone knew him and he preached in the synagogue there at Nazareth. The people in the town of Nazareth became very angry. They rejected him as the Messiah. They drug him out of the town and took him up upon a cliff where they were going to throw him down and destroy him and kill him. Because of their rejection, Jesus moved his uh, headquarters to Capernaum just a few miles away and there is where he began to minister out of. Uh, Capernaum he still began to preach in many of the towns and cities around about and for the next several, next couple of years of Jesus' life, uh, Jesus would perform miracles and preach uh, to those communities. Uh, and then of course we know uh, that at 33 years of age, uh, after he had called his apostles, uh, after he had preached, after he had performed miracles, after he had presented himself to be the Messiah, we know that the Jewish people rejected him and crucified him. And we'll be looking at that crucifixion. But for the next couple of Sundays, we want to look at the message that Jesus preached. The message that Jesus preached. Now the message that Jesus preached uh, was twofold. One thing that he preached uh, was that he was the Messiah. He let the world know that I am who you're looking for. I am the promised seed. I am the one that will be the sacrifice for your sins. He preached that message. But the other message that he preached was the importance of having an eternal focus versus 
and earthly focus. You see, many people who were looking for the Messiah, who were looking for the Savior, were looking for a materialistic king. They were looking for someone who would come and who would take and deliver them out of their bondage, would deliver them out of their immediate hardship, would get them out from under the oppression of the Romans, and would give them freedom here on earth. They were looking for a materialistic king, and therefore Jesus preached many, many messages concerning the fact that I am not a materialistic king, I am an eternal king. I did not come to change your immediate circumstances. I came to change the situation of the whole world for all time. And so Jesus preached a message of eternal value. And so here in Luke chapter number 6, verse 20 down through verse number 49, we have an account of a message that Jesus preached. Now, this account that we read in Luke 6, verse 20 to 49, is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapter number 5 through chapter number 7. But you can already see that here we have 29 verses. In Matthew, we have three chapters. But it's a very similar message. Now, there are some who believe that when Luke recorded his gospel, that Luke abbreviated the Sermon on the Mount that was given in Matthew. That is very likely. That may be what happened, that it's just an abbreviated version. Many other scholars believe that this is just the same message in a different location to a different group of people. It could be that that is the case as well. I don't know many preachers who don't preach the same message more than once. I've done it to y'all. I just changed the title and the way the points read and y'all never catch on. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, Preachers will preach the same message. This is the Word of God. It is the truth of the Word of God. And so we relay what is in this book. Jesus was preaching. He had a message that he was delivering. And to think that he would have delivered the same topic and multiple times and multiple locations is very easy to see how that would have happened. But whether this account in Luke 6 is an abbreviated version of the Sermon on the Mount or if it is a record of Jesus preaching the same topic at a different time, in either case, we find here in this chapter the basis of the message that Jesus preached concerning the differences that can be found in our behavior regarding the extent of our focus. In other words, in this message, we can see how that if we're, if we're focused temporally or if we're focused eternally, we'll change how we view what happens to us in our lifetime. In this message, Jesus deals with three subjects. We see the first subject that he deals with is the blessings of eternal focus. The second subject that he deals with is the barrenness of temporal focus. And then he deals with the behavior of those who follow Christ. Uh, Lord willing, this morning we're going to look uh, at the first thing that he dealt with, and that is the blessings of eternal focus. And as the Lord allows, uh, we're going to try to look at all three of these subjects over the next couple of Sundays. This morning we're going to begin, though, by looking at these blessings of eternal focus. Look with me in Luke chapter number 6. We're going to begin our reading in verse number 20, and we'll go ahead and read uh, down through the end of the chapter. This will be the entire message that is recorded here. In Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 20, it says, He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours 
is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them which curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again." And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Why call, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. 
I thank you, dear Lord, that in your word you have recorded, Father, the message that you spoke. Lord, you have uh, communicated not only to the group that was listening to you that day, but Lord, you have preserved your word and you have communicated to us uh, the message that you preached. Now, Father, as we look at this uh, portion of Scripture this morning, Father, and we look at this thought uh, of the blessings that come to those that have eternal focus, uh, I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you will open our hearts. Uh, I pray that you will open our minds. Uh, and Father, I pray that we will be receptive to the truth of your word. Lord, so oftentimes, Lord, we become stubborn in wanting to do things in where and how we understand. Father, I pray that we will accept what you say. And Lord, we will begin to live by your precepts. Thank you, dear Lord, for each person that is gathered here this morning. I pray, dear Lord, if there be one lost this morning, Lord, as we look at your word, that Lord, you through your Holy Spirit, Lord, will speak to their heart. And Lord, you will show to them their need of salvation, Father, I pray. Thank you for your goodness to us. Be with us now throughout the service this morning. Lord, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now we see here this passage of Scripture. I read the entire passage uh, uh, just to give us an overview of all that Jesus spoke uh, uh, that day as he preached. This morning we'll be focusing uh, uh, on just the first few verses uh, as we look at the blessing of eternal focus. Uh, if you look back at verse number 17, if you go back to verse number 17, uh, you will find that uh, when Jesus delivered this discourse, uh, he was speaking to a great multitude of people from a variety of backgrounds uh, who had gathered to listen to him. In verse number 17 it says, And he came down with them and stood in the plain, uh, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, uh, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So we see that a great multitude of people, including his disciples, but many, many other people, uh, had came to hear him speak. Now when we come to verse number 20 we will see that he is primarily addressing his disciples. He said in verse number 20 and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and begins to speak. So we see in verse number 17 uh, that there is a tremendous group of people. We see in verse number 20 that he primarily addressed his disciples. So we see uh, that in speaking, uh, uh, he spoke in such a way uh, that those who heard him, uh, both his disciples uh, and the multitude and you and I today who hear this message, he spoke in such a way uh, that all people uh, could benefit uh, from the message uh, he was delivering to his disciples that day. And so this what we find here is something that is a truth that can benefit all who will apply it. So this morning we're going to look at the blessings of eternal focus. In verse 20 down through verse number 23 we read of this blessing. It says there in verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. We see here in these verses 20 to 23 the blessings of eternal focus. Life was difficult in that day. 
In the day in which Jesus lived, life was difficult for the common people. Life uh, was not easy. And like people of today, many of them of that day felt that happiness would be found in prosperity. Many of them felt that happiness would be found in a life of plentifulness. Many of them felt that happiness would be found in a life of popularity. And so as they endured the hardship of common life, as they endured the oppression of the Romans, as they endured their life there, in their mind they thought if we could have a popularity, if we could have prosperity, if we could have a plenty, life would be better. It was very common in that day for them to go out and to sow their fields and to plant their crops and to work the crops, to bring the crops to maturity until they're ready to harvest. And at the time of the harvest, the Romans would come in and take everything they had raised and leave them with nothing after a year of work. This is hardship. You can see how it would be easy for them to think life would be better if we could just have the food that we raised. That we would see how they would be poor. They wouldn't have the money to afford things. You can see how they would think I would be happy if I had prosperity. We can translate that into our day. And you can see many, many, many people who think that happiness comes from prosperity. Happiness comes from plenty. Happiness comes from things going well. And people are seeking for happiness in temporal things because we link our frustration to those things that make life hard for us. And so we see here uh, that life was difficult and they linked uh, happiness. They thought happiness would be found in prosperity, popularity, or pleasure. And many of those who had heard of Jesus and his miracles didn't necessarily follow him because of the gospel. They followed him because his miracles could bring that temporal pleasure and prosperity they were looking for. Oh, they heard tell how he took just a few loaves and a couple fishes and fed 5,000 men. What if I could do that? We'd never have to sow again. Romans never be able to steal my food again. They followed him because of the miracles. Man, this miracle, they heard of a lame man who had been lame all his life, who had been a beggar and had had hardly nothing, who was now able to walk, and now his life of hardship had become a life of, of happiness. And they're like, oh, if only these miracles could give me what I need in my life. You know what? Many times we go to the Lord in prayer with that same attitude. Lord, I need you to take care of the things that are affecting me right now. This is why they followed Jesus. They were thinking that perhaps his miracles of deliverance and redemption would also involve a life of pleasure and prosperity in the parable of the sower. We read about the parable of the sower. and The, the Bible says that the, the sower went forth to sow the seed. And of course the seed is the word of God, the gospel that changes life. And it said that some of the seed fell on stony ground. And it sprung up quick. But in time of temptation, it withered away. Now what that's talking about is someone who hears 
about the gospel. They hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. They hear about the way he can change life and they go and they accept it. I like what I hear. I like what's being said and I think that if I put my trust in this, this can take away my hardship. This can take away my trouble. This can make everything better for me and they go into the gospel with a temporal focus hoping for immediate relief and in time of temptation, in time of trouble, in time of hardship, they realize that this book was never about taking care of your immediate problems, but it's always been about taking care of your eternal problems. And when they recognize that it's not going to fix right now, but instead it's fixing eternity, they lose interest in the Word of God and they walk away from it. We see here that the that Jesus was preaching to these people and these people were following him hoping to find pleasure and prosperity. Now let me just interject that Jesus is not opposed to people having a good life. Jesus is not opposed to blessing. Matter of fact, he says that those who follow him will reap the blessings that come from following God. If you follow the principles of this book, you will naturally save yourself much of the heartache that the lost world faces. You will find yourself being able to live a much better life, a much more peaceful life, a much more enjoyable life if you apply the principles of this book. Jesus is not against his people getting blessings. He's not preaching against being blessings. But what he is preaching about is that there is an inner and eternal reward to those who focus on the spiritual. There is an eternal reward to those who focus on the spiritual and there is a barrenness, an inner and eternal reward barrenness to those who focus on finding their fulfillment in physical, material things. So we're going to look at each of these situations that Jesus addresses this morning. First of all, we see the blessing to those facing a disadvantage. The blessing that comes to those facing a disadvantage. In verse number 20 of chapter 6, the Bible says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed Be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The literal interpretation of the word blessed that we find here in this passage is happy. Or if you want to define it further, it's happy, happy. The word blessed means happy. So Jesus is literally saying right here that the poor will be happy. Happy are ye poor. Now whenever you're speaking to a group of people who are living a life of hardship, who are following Jesus, hoping that through his miracles he will bring them prosperity, and he says to them, happy are ye poor, suddenly the message has changed from what they thought it was going to be. How is it that the poor will find happiness? What is the message that Jesus is portraying him? I believe there's several things. First of all, we know that the disciples, most of the disciples, Uh, uh, all of them possibly, left 
their livelihood. They left their means of making a living to follow Jesus. He went there by the seashore. He said, leave your nets and come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He went to Matthew, the tax collector, who was making a lot of money, although from dishonest means. He said to Matthew, leave the tax table and come follow me. Everyone that Jesus met, he said, leave what you're doing and come follow me. These men had left their livelihood. They had left their means of making a living Uh, The Bible says that they forsook all to follow him. I'm sure it caused them to face some material lack. Now the Bible says that he will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Sometimes we as humans have a hard time deciphering between needs and wants. He said, you follow me, I'll take care of all your need. And so although they faced a lack, they never did without. Jesus took care of their needs, but they may have not been able to live the lifestyle that they once lived before. They faced some material lack because of their decision to follow him. I imagine there were times that they may have questioned, did we make the right decision? Fish are running right now. I know, I've been fishing all my life, and I know if I was to get out on the lake now, I could make make several hundred shekels in just one night. Did I make the right decision? Leaving that to follow him? They were human just like us. I'm sure these thoughts went through their mind. They didn't act upon them except Peter did after the crucifixion and Jesus called him back from that. But I'm sure these thoughts went through their mind. I'm sure that they had family and friends who approached them about their unwise move. Exactly what do you think you're doing? Leaving all to follow me. But as Jesus began to speak, the first thing he did was minimize their their material lack. He said, happy are the poor. He minimized the fact that they were lacking material and he maximized the eternal gain. He said said there, happy are ye poor for ye shall inherit the kingdom of God. He took the focus off of what they had given up and he turned their focus onto what they had in store. He states that joy can be found in poverty when we focus on eternity. The Bible has has much to say about the benefit of the poor. Uh, uh, we are told that the poor are more receptive to the gospel. The Bible says it's easier uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and that is a literal application. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle uh, than it is for a rich man to be saved. The disciples said uh, Lord then who can be saved? And Jesus said with man this is impossible but with God all things is impossible. He can save the rich uh, but it is very difficult uh, for a rich man uh, to stop trusting in his money and start trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is very difficult for someone with wealth to quit depending on himself and start depending on Christ. We see that the poor are more receptive to the gospel. The poor are more aware of their need. The poor are more aware of their inability. The poor are more aware of what they cannot do. Therefore, they are more likely to turn to the Savior. We read that the wealth of the rich young ruler got in his way when he came seeking Christ. He came seeking Christ. Christ said uh, to give all you have to the poor and come follow me. And he said, I can't do that. 
his wealth got in his way of accepting the gospel. In Luke chapter number 12, we read of the rich fool uh, who was going to tear down his barns and build greater, uh, but because of his wealth, uh, he was blinded to his need uh, to prepare for eternity. He was well prepared for this temporary life, uh, but he had made no preparation for his eternal life because his hope was placed uh, on his wealth. In Luke 16, we find that the rich man in hell uh, found that his wealth uh, was bearing witness against him. The Bible has much to say about the benefit of the poor. There are many places uh, where we can find examples of riches standing in the way of salvation. In this sermon, Jesus isn't teaching that possessions are evil, but he is teaching that possessions are unable to provide man's greatest need. He said, blessed are ye poor. Because although you may not have what the world says you need, you do have your greatest need. Jesus is not preaching against possessions, but he is preaching that possessions cannot provide that which you need the most. Uh, He is teaching of the inability of possessions to provide eternity. He is preaching that those who give up material gain that they might obtain eternal security, will find happiness on this earth despite any hardship they may face. The blessing of being eternally focused. Those who say I'm willing to give up material things that I might gain eternal things will be the happiest people on earth because their focus is no longer on the immediate, but it's on the eternal. What can be uh, something that debilitates many can be just a minor inconvenience to those who are faced on eternity. Secondly, in this passage, Jesus speaks of blessings that will come to those dealing with distress. Those dealing with distress. In verse number 21, the Bible says, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. First he said, happy are the poor. Now he says, happy are the hungry. Happy are the hungry. How do we understand this? I believe we see here uh, yet another statement that contrasts current misery with eternal blessings. Jesus is contrasting current uh, immediate discomfort with eternal blessings. He said, blessed are ye that are hungry, for ye shall be filled. Now, Jesus understood hunger. Jesus just just shortly prior to this has spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness with nothing to eat. He understands hunger. He understands the discomfort that comes with hunger. He understands uh, how it changes uh, our body. It changes our mind. It changes our reactions. He understands hunger better than anyone that he's talking to. uh, And he says, happy are the hungry. Hunger is difficult. Hunger is uncomfortable. And whenever we view this life as our whole, in other words, this life, my existence here from my birth uh, until I pass off the scene, uh, this period of time, uh, uh, be, it, be it just a few years, be it a long life uh, of 80, 90, 100 years, whichever way it is, I view this existence uh, as the whole of my existence then things such as hunger can be devastating. 
If this is my home, and everything I'm going to enjoy is here, and the best that I'm going to ever experience is here, and when I die, this is over, and my main goal is to enjoy my time here. If I find myself hungry, physically hungry, going without meals, it can be devastating. It can be unnerving. I am miserable. Why am I alive? Why do I exist? Why am I suffering? Why am I putting up with this? It can cause me to lose my focus. It can cause me to lose my drive. It can cause me to lose any want to be anything because hunger will devastate me if this life is my home. But if this life... I understand it to just be a temporary, a temporary existence given to me for the purpose of preparing for eternity, then hunger becomes an inconvenience. Because this life isn't my home. I'm not, my, my life is not driven by making sure that every day is the best day that it can be. Every day is driven by ensuring that my eternity will be everything that it can be. I have to say to you this morning, I enjoy a good full stomach. I enjoy sitting down to a meal. Looking forward to sitting down to a meal here in just a little while. Melissa was fixing it before we left this morning. I'm excited about sitting down to that good meal. I enjoy a good meal and I know all of us do but I would rather go through this life hungry this temporary life here on this earth I would rather go through it hungry knowing that I have an eternal home than I would want to go through this life full and satisfied to spend eternity in the lake of fire that is what Jesus is preaching he said happy are ye that are hungry now because ye shall be filled. There is a blessing that comes with eternal focus. We see here the blessing that comes to, to those two physical needs. But then we see the blessings that come to those coping with despair. And the first two that we looked at, Jesus is dealing with physical lack. And how eternal focus can bring happiness although we face physical lack. But now he turns his attention to emotional battles. Verse 21, the blessing to those coping with despair. Verse number 21, blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. The first two, poverty and hunger, deals with physical laugh. Now he's talking about emotional distress, emotional struggles, and how an eternal focus can help our emotional struggles. Weeping, weeping can accompany several things. We find in the Word of God that weeping can accompany repentance. Weeping can accompany repentance. Weeping does not have to accompany repentance, but oftentimes weeping will accompany true repentance. Whenever we recognize our sin against an almighty God, whenever we recognize that we have violated the law of our Creator, whenever we recognize that we have trampled underfoot the blood of our loving Savior and we come to that realization and we go to Him repenting of our rejection of Him, repentance will often bring tears as we go before God and we admit 
our sinfulness against a loving God. Weeping can accompany repentance. Weeping can accompany brokenness over our sin. Weeping can accompany a recognition of our condition in relation to an almighty God. Weeping can accompany a burden for lost souls. Many times if we become burdened for a lost loved one, we will be driven to tears for the salvation of that loved one. A sober thought is that I believe many more loved ones would come to Christ if we were more often driven to tears over the condition of our loved ones. Weeping can accompany brokenness or a burden for a lost loved one. Weeping can be the natural response to the loss, the passing away, the death of a loved one. Just Wednesday we had the memorial service here for Brother Rusty Tomlin. Weeping is a natural response when a loved one passes away. Weeping can be accompanied with many, many things. But in each of these occasions, the Bible promises that joy will follow Weeping. He said, blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. What is it that Christ is telling us here? Well, we find in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 10 that those who weep in repentance will be rewarded with eternal salvation. In 2 Corinthians 7, 10 it says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Those who come to Christ in a repentant spirit, asking forgiveness of their sin, turning their life over to Him, putting their belief and trust in Him, godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Those who weep if a repentant spirit will be rewarded with the joy of salvation. God will bless them for their repentance. Those who weep in brokenness over lost souls will be rewarded with rejoicing over their salvation. Psalm 126 verse 5 and 6 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. Those who weep in repentance will be rewarded with salvation. Those who weep over lost souls will be rewarded with their salvation. Those who weep over the loss of loved ones will be able to rejoice when reunited in glory. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 18, the Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse number 18 says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Those who weep over the loss of a loved one, if you have put your trust in Christ, will rejoice when you're reunited together. For the Christian facing seasons of despair, remember what Psalm 30 and verse number 5 says. This is speaking to those that put their trust in Christ, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Those of us who are focused on eternity know that the tears we shed here will be replaced with joy over there. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that when we get to heaven, there'll be no more tears, neither sorrow. It'll all be wiped away. The tears will be replaced with joy. And then the fourth blessing Jesus speaks of, and we'll move quickly, is the blessing that comes to those who are despised 
for their faith. Luke 6 verse 22 says, Blessed are ye, happy are ye, when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. I see three things in this passage concerning being rejected for the faith. We'll move through them quickly. First of all, I see the reason for the rejection. Be careful. Be careful what you claim is persecution. Now the Bible promises that if we live for Christ, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution of some degree or another. But be careful what you label as persecution. If someone disagrees with your opinion that's not tied to the Word of God, that's not persecution. If someone disagrees with how you do things, that's not persecution. We need to look here in this passage and we see the reason for the rejection. If you look at the last sentence of verse number 22, it says, for the Son of Man's sake. This is talking about when someone rejects you because you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They want nothing to do with you because of your faith and your belief in the Savior. This is the reason for the rejection. We see the extent of the rejection because of your belief in the Savior. We see in verse number 22 that it says, when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil. You know what? Many of us have Christian families. We have Christian friends. And many times we don't find ourselves facing this. But you know what? There are many, especially those who are new believers, who have just come to Christ, who will find that because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that they have friends and family members who want nothing to do with them. They have people who used to be close to them who no longer want to hang out with them. They have friends and people who used to be best buddies who now won't talk to them. And it's all because they've decided to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus says they may hate you. They may separate you from their company. They may reproach you. They may cast out your name as evil because you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But last of all, verse 23, we see the result of this rejection. He says, rejoice ye in that day. Whenever people no longer want to be around you because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, rejoice in that day. Why do we rejoice? He said, rejoice and leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. Those who are rejecting you have a temporal focus. Those who want nothing to do with you are only focused on the here and now. Those that no longer want to fellowship with you think that this life is everything, but you understand that there is an eternal home. You understand that there's a better tomorrow. You understand that Jesus is the hope and you have put your trust in Him. And so when they reject you and whenever they hate you and whenever they want nothing to do with you, understand that you can leap for joy because this is confirmation that you have an eternal home. You have made peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you face rejection because of your faith in Jesus, remember that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
Jesus said, when you compare what you're enduring because of your faith with what you will receive because of your faith, you will recognize that what you're facing now is a light affliction in, in comparison with what you will receive for your service to the Lord. We see here the beginning of the message that Jesus preached. Blessed are they who have an eternal focus. Blessed are they who understand that this life isn't everything. Blessed are they who understand the purpose of this life is to put your trust to the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are they who are focused on eternity and not today. You can be happy in spite of hardships when you're focused on eternity. We'll ask each of you to stand. There we are, Miss Debbie. Go make her way to the piano. Perhaps there's someone here this morning that you've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are focused on the immediate. You are living your life for right now. There's never been a time when you've taken your focus off of the temporal and turned your focus to the eternal. Maybe there's some here who's never really given a lot of thought to the eternal. This morning as Miss Debbie plays, the Lord spoke to your heart. I encourage you to come. Do business with the Lord. Find the joy of salvation. Perhaps there's Christians here who've been enduring some hardships. Maybe you've been questioning, Lord, why am I facing this? Lord, I'm doing what's right. I'm following you. Why am I facing these hardships? Why am I going through these difficulties? Why are these troubles in my life? Why is this going on in my life? Maybe you've been questioning the Lord. Perhaps you need to come to this altar this morning and say, Lord, help me. Help me to have an eternal focus. Help me not to focus on the immediate and the things that I'm suffering now, but help me to recognize that these are just a light affliction in comparison with what you have in store for me. If the Lord spoke to your hearts. Miss Debbie plays. You come. Thanks for being here this morning. I hope the Lord was able to speak to you through that message. Boy, I tell you, I thank the Lord for the Word of God. Thank the Lord for the truth of the Word of God. I pray that we open our hearts and allow the Word of God to mold us and change us and make us the people that Christ would have us to be. Appreciate each of you being here. Be back this evening if you're able. We'll be in Psalm 119 looking at four pictures of a man of God. So you be here tonight if you can. I know that you'll enjoy the service. Brother Ted, would you pray and dismiss us?
Father God, help us in our lives to take this message that it might empower us to live more as the Lord Jesus would have us. Father, we thank you for the word that has gone out in Sunday school, the word that has gone out here in church. Father, may it better our lives for listening to it. Father, be with us as we leave today. Bring us back at the next appointed time. For we pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.